talk um, about this. Um, you know, and we're continuing the, the Sermon of the Mount series. Uh, for those who, who may be visiting, um, uh, we've, been, we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew since the uh, beginning of the year, really. And it's, it's been extremely informative. Uh, Melton has done great, great work in providing us with, with loads of information and lots of study. I think it's very, very rich. Um, I've also shared that I've tried to look at this also from a different angle. And today I'm going to talk maybe not about what you think this passage is about. Um, I've, been, uh, I've been listening to and, and, and sort of, uh, yeah, there's a pod podcast that I'm listening to fairly, fairly uh, regularly um, about someone that, that is a Jew who became a Christian and he's really, he's really looking at the Bible from the Hebrew point of view. Uh, it's been extremely informative, amazing. I, th I think I've never understood just the, cru the crux of the Bible as well uh, as, as this. And this really helped me. It's, it's, enriched, it's enriched my thinking, my Bible study. It's given me a, step in my, a spring in my step just thinking about the scriptures. Because I think it's so important. You know, if we can understand the heart of God through the scriptures, it's so important. Because we can otherwise get bogged down by... And all sorts of things, you know. And if we if we don't if we don't follow the thread and follow the the heart that God is revealing through the scriptures, we really lose the plot, and it can lead to all sorts of things: misunderstanding, mis mis just misinterpretation of what God is really trying to achieve, and and it can lead us to to, to staleness, to boredom, because it it starts becoming just a bunch of arbitrary rules, or maybe just this this morality we're trying to follow that kind of seems great, but we know that we are falling short the whole time, and then you, we can easily lose the motivation to try and live up to a certain standard. Um, and so today, even though um, the passage that, I'm, that we're going to look at centers a lot around prayer, today I'm not going to specifically just talk about prayer. In fact, very little. So I hope you're not too disappointed. I, I entitled the message, The Heart of the Matter. And obviously prayer is super, super important. This passage, this whole piece, and I know, you know, Heinrich said earlier it's going to be from, from Matthew 5 to 15, and I'm, I'm, I'm spreading it out a little bit more. Not that we're going to look at each verse in there, but there's a reason why I'm doing that. This whole passage, we need to look at it kind of together to understand what is Jesus primarily trying to tell us, trying to teach us through this. So... Maybe what we should do, without further ado, is, uh, is just get into the scriptures. So I've got, the first point is done in secret. If you want to take notes, it's not necessary. So the first thing I want to talk about is, is this whole thing, whole idea of do done in secret. And let's lead, read the text and take it from there. So Matthew 5, 6 starts by saying, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do... You will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Um, sorry, that's Matthew 6. I'm not sure if that's the correct verse. Let me just have a quick look. Um, it's, it's more the reference. I do want to read what's, what is there, but I just want to make sure that, that I've actually got the right verse written down there. You can, as you can see, I'm not firing on all cylinders today. Come on, uh, there's been plenty of, of uh, evidence of that. Uh, but amen, God's God. Uh, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just me. Uh, right, so it's actually from, from Matthew 6, verse 1. don't know what happened with the, with the reference up there, but... Um, so it says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. 
So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Right, so that's, that's the, bit, the bit about giving to the, need, uh, to the, to the needy. Then if we go, if we go on to what, what Jesus is talking about, prayer, he says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they, have, they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And then, next one about fasting. So I'm skipping the bit about the Lord's Prayer. It's not like that I don't think it's important. We're going to get back to that. So, about fasting, it says, When you fast, do not look somber as hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So what is this whole thing about doing stuff in secret? What, is, what does it mean? Does it mean that everything we do, or maybe, don't read there. My water. So what does it mean? Does it mean that no one is allowed to see that we are Christians? Or is it, does it mean that we're not, people are not allowed to see that we are giving and helping the poor? Does it mean that people are not allowed to see that, that we are praying, that we are fasting? Because we get sort of bent out of shape about this, don't we? Oh, you're fasting. Don't tell me you're fasting. You're not allowed to tell me you're fasting. What's wrong with you? Jesus said, you must do it in secret. No one is supposed to know. So what does it really mean? So, I mean, if you think about it, um, yeah, it's gone now. All right, so what about Matthew 5, verse 14 to 16? Just last Sunday, Ben did a great sermon for those who were here about salt and light. And what does it do? That passage ends by saying, You are the light of the world. The town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light the lamp or put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Guess what, guys? People have to see that we are disciples. Our light needs to shine. So what is, what is Jesus talking about this do things in secret? Let's try and understand that. Right. Um, so Jesus said, do not do what the hypocrites do. Right. So that's the whole point. The whole point, Jesus says, look what the hypocrites are doing. That is what they don't want you to do. Now, what does hypocrite mean? Let's get a few definitions. Who knows? Those who understand Greek, don't answer. But those of the rest of us, tell me, what does hypocrite mean? Heinrich, don't cheat. Hold on. One way and you talk yep. a different way. Is that sort of in general the. Yeah. So, do not. Way say the opposite. Right. Yeah. Not doing what you say. Yeah. Now, think about that. Who's the guys in the Bible that Jesus 
had the most to say about them being hypocrites. Who did Jesus address as hypocrites? What did they do? These guys were super committed. They put us to shame. And those guys did everything they said. They held to the law like you cannot believe to such a, to, to such a degree that, that they actually lost completely the heart of what it was. But they did what they said very, very strictly. Now, the Greek. So what does hypocrite mean? It, the, the word used here, that Jesus uses, that's translated from the Greek here, is upokrites. That's what that says. Hypocrites. Right? Hypocrites. It means nothing other than an actor. That is the actual word in Greek for an actor. It doesn't mean anything else. And what Jesus is saying here is that, that do not be an actor. Do not be an actor. <laughs> in your walk and your devotion with Christ, right? <laughs> Do not be an actor in how you live out discipleship. Do not be an actor in how you give to the needy. Do not be an actor in how you pray. Do not be an actor in how you fast. How you lead, how you do worship. How you serve in the kingdom. How you whatever you do. How you study the Bible with people. Whatever it is that you feel you need to do as part of your walk with Christ. Do not be an actor. So, guess what guys? You and I can do the right things. We can do what we say and be, and be hypocrites. We can do exactly what we say. We, can say. we can say to people, you need to be disciples and you need to baptize people. And you and I can be doing that and still be hypocrites. You can, we can be telling people we need to build a relationship with God and read our Bibles and pray. And we can do it and still be hypocrites. So how is that possible? Well, it's really about the heart. And this is very, very important. And let me see what's next here. All right. So what are the, what are the, 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 the actors in those days? And really, they're not much different from now. But the whole historical context. If we read there, it says that, you know, famous actors. If you go to watch a play there, they didn't have... Uh, 4K HD screens on the side that can zoom in and who's on the stage. So if you're there and you want to see uh, whatever, um, give me a give me a give me a popular actor now. Benedict Cumberbatch. Hmm? Benedict Cumberbatch. All right, not not my cup of tea, but anyway, if that's if that floats your boat. All right, you there to to see Benedict Cumberbatch? That's a difficult thing to say. Um, and, and and you there? But you know he's he's, he's wearing makeup. Right? He's, he's in, he's, maybe he's in drag. Maybe he's, I don't know what it is. But you will not easily recognize him. So you're sitting in the stands. So what they do, they, they have, a, they have a, sort of a brass section. That when somebody famous gets onto the stage, they're like, just a quick blast. And then you know, oh, all right, the guy's, the guy's there. And they're like, oh, where is it? Is it that guy? No, 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 it's this guy. And so, so it's an announcement. But what is that actor's reward? To be, to be seen and to be recognized nothing else that is what he gets out of it and that's what you and i get out of it if people know that you give you give a lot you know sometimes you we have a contribution uh, collection a special contribution and you really think okay you're digging deep and you're putting that check in the bin and you think man this is a lot of money and i've done this and you think i hope somebody sees how much you know how much of that total amount i have contributed think what a louse what an absolute creep I am but but that's our hearts right yeah. you know why do we do things yes. you know look you know actors 
contort their faces to, to dramatize emotions. That's what these guys did, right? And so he said, when you fast, don't go, I've eaten for days, right? So, so you're not fasting. Yeah, you're about to show me. Yeah? Nominations? <laughs> so we do not do things like that to show because, you know, what is the reward you're getting? And I think that's the point that Jesus is saying, is that what is, what is the reward, right? What is the reward? Jesus, so, so what Jesus is saying is that if we do things for the show, if we're acting, we're just showing, doing it for, for the wrong motives, we're doing it, maybe we're just going through the motions, right? Maybe we, we up here and you play an instrument. And I've done that and I was like, oh, that was really nice what I played right there. I hope somebody noticed, not just me. Instead of thinking, I'm doing this for God, right? I'm doing it for God. But no, no, there's always a part there in my heart. I'm like, oh, I hope somebody noticed. Oh, I hope somebody thinks, this guy is cool. This guy does it. Or maybe it's just, well, you know, just, just a, the desire to want to be recognized, that you are devoted. You are a sold out Christian. You are laying down your life for your brothers and sisters. You know, just, just, just that knowledge. So Jesus says, the people like that, people like us, when we do that, we have our reward now. The only reward we get when we do that is the opinion of other people. Yeah. Or maybe a soothed conscience, but you get nothing else. What's the alternative if we do it with the right heart? What's our reward then? So Jesus says, they've already had their reward. If you do it with the right heart, what, what's, it, what's the tense? When do you get that reward? When you do things with the right heart? What do you guys think? Huh? So, future? Maybe not. I think the guys struggle with, if you look at the, uh, the tense, the Greek, Greek's really a complex language. If you look at the way the, the Greek is written, you cannot really interpret that as a reward that you will then get in the future. Whatever Jesus says, the counter, the only, only logical conclusion is that you get a reward now. If you do something with the right motive, you get a reward now. And what is that reward? And this is really important because it, for me, it's really putting Jesus' teachings in context. Because if I do what Jesus says with the right heart, I am being changed. That is how God transforms me. My reward starts now by I can start changing. And it has future implications. So yes, there's a reward in the future and God's going to bless me in, in heaven and all that. But the reward starts now, guys. Eternity starts now. If, if, we, if we devote ourselves with a pure heart, with the right motives, out of our heart, serving God, that, that reward is, is, is something that, that, that we can't get from doing anything else. Amen. Right, let me see, where are we? Right, so... Before we get to the prayer bit, I just want, to, want us to really understand this very, very importantly. Just that, you know, as, as, as people, as, as kingdom people, remember now what's the, what's the backstory here? What is Jesus doing? He's revealing through, this, through the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. He's revealing His plan to change the world. You know, the only way we can be part of that game, part of that amazing mission, be useful by God to God, is if we're doing it out of our hearts. If we, are, if we are changed within. If we're living sort of inside out lives. We've got to be very careful about how we do things and why we do things. And get back to God. And so it, 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 it applies to our service. 
all best, best intentions, giving to the poor. Man, that's amazing. That is what righteousness means. In the word that the, that the Greek is using, it means charity. So it starts that piece with for giving to the needy. Say, when you perform your acts of righteousness, that means giving to people, generosity. That is what righteousness in this context means. So when you do that, isn't that awesome? It's amazing. You can still be a hypocrite. You and I can still be hypocrites, even though we are doing our best, that we're doing, you know, we are we are performing amazing acts. If we are not doing it from the heart, if we are not doing it for the right motivation, out of pure love and pure devotion for God. Right, let's not labor that point further. So let's get on to prayer. Now that's sort of the second, the second point is not prayer. I'll get to the, get, I'll tell you when we get to that point. But prayer is a very, very important aspect. And so, so Jesus said, you know, this is how you should pray. It says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts. As we also have forgiven our debtors. And deliver us from the evil one. So, I think when I read this the first time, I've always been introduced, this has been introduced to me as the prayer that Jesus gave his disciples. That they should be praying from now on. And I thought that till a few days ago. Until, I've, until I read around a little bit about this. That this prayer is not very unique. It's got very unique components in it. Which we are going to get to. Which will be the second point. But this prayer is a typical Jewish prayer. And so they've got... They've got and I think it's maybe worthwhile... If you don't already have read about this. The, the prayer life of your typical Jew is absolutely phenomenal. Now, they had prayers for absolutely everything, but their attitude about prayers is incredible. So the rabbis used to say, greatest prayer, greater than all good works. Right, so a lot of this stuff that the Jews and the Pharisees were doing in Jesus' time really came from a great, from a great motive, from a great attitude, a great purpose. You know, another saying that they had was, he who prays within his house surrounds it with a wall that is stronger than iron. Like, wow, that's great, right? I mean, these guys, these guys got it. And so I'm not here to criticize them. So, but what they, they had is that they were so devoted to prayers that they had, a, they had a prayer for everything, every occasion. It's unbelievable. I, I made a list. It says this. They are, they are stated formalized prayers that, de, that they had to pray before and after each meal in connection with light, fire, lightning, on seeing new, the new moon comments, comments, rain and storm, well, this morning on the way here, I was like, I saw, see a storm coming. Am I praying about that? <laughs> like, it's, it sort of got my attention. <laughs> right? They had prayers for, for on, uh, you know, when they see the sea, the lakes, rivers, on receiving good news, using new furniture, entering and leaving a city. Right? And so we think, this is hectic. But the purpose of this is this is how they thought they can include and get God involved in every aspect of their lives. Guys, isn't that exactly what we should be doing? Isn't that how we should be living our whole life? Everything we do, everything we think of, everything we experience, it's, you know, have a prayer. Think about God. Get God involved in that picture. So, so where did it go wrong? Now, unfortunately, when you have such a great formalized system, any system gets abused and gets misused. And I think that's just all it is. You know, we are just creatures of habit. You know, we get, we get busy and we think, okay, we quickly do a few things. So, 
There's, uh, there's, there's, uh, there's other few things that they had to do. Three times a day they had to pray. They had to, three times a day they had to say the Shema, which is three scriptures, three passages in scripture in Deuteronomy and, and Numbers. And they had to say this three times a day. And there's specific times. You can't say it before a certain time and you can't say it after a certain time. So it's very serious. The last prayer, the third prayer, had to be done before 9 a.m. And no matter where you were, driving on the motorway, if, it's, if you see it's going to be 9 a.m., you get off at the services, man, and you stop everything and you say your prayer. Very, very devoted. And then they had the Shemone Esrei, which is the 18. And so the 18 was sort of developed, from what I can see, from this kind of format of prayer. And so I'll, I'll get to that. But that is a huge thing. 18, which became 19 prayers of all sorts of aspects of this life with God. So... I, had just, I should have said this at the start. Most of what I'm talking about today, I got from, from this podcast and the sermon I listened to uh, from, 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 from this man called uh, Marty Solomon, which is just great. His insight and his research is fantastic. So if anybody sees this on the net and says he's plagiarizing, I'm sorry. This is almost an exact copy of something he has done. done. But it's been, it's been really life-changing for me, just understanding these things. So... This is, they call it the Amida prayer. There was also the standing prayer, which you had to pray, you had to stand with your hands, your palms turned, turned, turned this way. And, uh, yeah, I see, I know, what I'm doing, I didn't look at that yet. So, the, the Amida prayer, this is something that was recorded sort of around the first century. And you had to pray this three times a day. And when you pray, it's interesting, they... People tended to go to the temple to pray. They felt that that is the place where they got the best connection with God. So people, people prayed in public places. And they, you know, where it says, close, go to your room and close it, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a bit of struggling with, with the, with the uh, translations. But what the Jews did there is they had a prayer shawl. And your room is, you put it over your head like this, and you close it, and you pray. But everybody can see you're praying, right? But if you go with your prayer shawl, it's like, <laughs> you're praying, and you're standing there like for an hour, and you start shaking. That is what Jesus is talking about. Then, then that's an act, right? But they were, that was sort of the kind of prayer that they, that they did. So the Amidah prayer is sort of a shortened version of this long thing they had to do. If you didn't have time, you know, they, they, were, they, they gave you some, some shorter prayers that you can pray. Now I'm going to read this prayer. It was translated from the Hebrew. It says, Our Father, the one who dwells in heaven, May your name be holy. May your kingdom come as we do your will. Here on earth as it's done in heaven. Give us today the bread of today and deliver us from the evil one. Cursed be he. So what's, what does that sound like? Very much like the Lord's Prayer, right? Yeah. And so, so the Lord's Prayer is, 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 Jesus just said, essentially I think what he's saying is, guys, you know how to pray. You are praying already. What preceded this? It's about how you pray. It's not about the mechanics of prayer. Sometimes we get really bent out of shape about this. Like, oh, am I praying long enough? Am I covering everything in my prayer? Am I praying with enough faith, enough gusto? Should I be crying out to God? Should I pray loud? Should I be silent? You know, the Bible doesn't really say anything about how we should pray. And Jesus is essentially telling his disciples, you already know how to pray. I think it's, 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 it's useful for me to look at how the Jews prayed and what they prayed about. And I'm thinking, am I praying about those things? So obviously we can always grow in prayer. And I'm not saying this is a final word about prayer. 
The Bible talks a lot about prayer. You know, so this is not a study in the exegesis about prayer, but it's about what I believe Jesus is trying to communicate here. Is that, guys, you have been praying. Keep on praying. But pray with the right heart. But Jesus does something else. What is different between what I just read and what's there? Can you guys see? You can tell me what's, what's, what's different. The one thing that, they, that if you read, if you look at the, the, the current, the, the extended version, the Shemunoi Israel, the, the, the long one, they've added forgiveness. God, please forgive us. So they've, the whole idea of forgiveness does come in and it fits in the Jewish mindset, so don't get me wrong. So, but the thing that Jesus brought in that's different is, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And I've looked at quite a few versions of this long, this, this long prayer, and not a single one of them has this in there. This is unique. This is what Jesus brought to us. This idea that He wants us to forgive people. So for the, to, the, to the Jew, to the Jew, forgiveness is God's job, not man's job. So there's lots of prayers about forgiving other people, people praying, you know. I was a, as a Jew, I will pray, God, please forgive Heinrich. God, please forgive Marlon. But, but the prayer, but I, the, the whole idea of me having to forgive someone is, is not formalized. I think, I'm not saying that in the Jewish culture, in the mindset, it doesn't exist. But at this time, this was a scandalous, a radical, scandalous addition to the Jewish formal way of serving God is forgiving one another. So what does he do? Jesus invites us to participate with God in the forgiveness process. And why am I hammering on this forgiveness bit? Is that Jesus goes through the whole Lord's Prayer. And then, he, then as, he, as he stops there, he adds this bit. For if you forgive other people, when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is a great deal. There's a lot Jesus could have talked about after he just laid out the whole prayer formula, right? I mean, he could have gone into a lot of detail about what every aspect of that means. No, he doesn't. It's like, you guys get it. You guys understand the rest. This is something new. You do not get this yet. So, that is point number two, is forgiveness. Forgiveness, obviously we need it from God. Only God can forgive our sins. But it's forgiving other people and what that does. God invites us into the whole forgiveness and redemption process, the reconciliation process. This is what Jesus is doing through, through the Sermon on the Mount. You guys got to go look for the, the thread. I'll give you some clues earlier. What Jesus is trying to get at, the heart of the Beatitudes, the heart of the Sermon on the Mount, is connected to this whole idea of how we relate with one another. So the Jews at that time had a fairly good understanding of how to relate with God. They were doing it pretty, pretty fervently. Maybe not with the right motives, but they got it. They didn't really know how to relate and reconcile with one another. So, the context of the Beatitudes, what I'm just talking about, right? If you were here two weeks ago, I, I, did, I did the last, the last, um, the last Beatitude was about those who are persecuted, you know? And then I, then I put up a few, few thoughts here, you know? We talked about chiasms, right? Who can tell me what's a chiasm again? What's the point of a chiasm? What is it trying to do? 
Yeah. Yeah. Remember. Right. It's it's a literally literary structure to lead you to the heart of the matter. Title of my sermon: The Heart of the Matter. The Beatitudes. Right in the center of the Beatitudes is hunger and thirst for righteousness. Remember, we talked about this as progression. First, this is your relationship with God. The first four, and then this is how, you, how it relates, how it allows you to relate with people. So when you're poor in spirit, you understand that it's only God and you're nothing. You understand, you, you see your sin and you can mourn and you can repent. Meek, you put yourself under God's control. And then your hunger and thirst for righteousness. And as you do that, you realize it's only through God's mercy that you get righteousness. And righteousness, as I said before, the term they use is generosity. It is giving to others. And as you realize that I need, I need righteousness, but I need to be righteous, I need to give to people. I need to have a heart that has mercy to give to people. Right, and then it goes this, like this. So, how does it, so that's a context of Beatitudes. That's the center of the Beatitudes. Then the center of... Right, so the Sermon on the Mount. You can also view the Sermon on the Mount as a chiasm. Right, so getting, getting sort of into the, into the depths here. But I think it's really important to understand. So here are, here, here are the, the, the Beatitudes, right? And then what you do is if you read the Beatitudes and you start and you continue, then you can, you can map them all the way back. And so the, the Beatitudes explain the kingdom characteristics. The rest of the Sermon on the Mount explain what does it look like when you are this. Those of you who were on Friday, Malcolm said it a few times. If we, if we are full of mercy, this is what it would look like. We will forgive and we will love our enemies and we will forgive easier, easily. So, so these things, these things have, are mirrored and the rest of the, the, the Sermon of the Mount explain what, what it would look like when you have the Beatitudes in your heart. So where did we say was the middle of the Beatitudes? These two, right? Hunger and thirst, for righteousness and mercy. And so if you look at the topics that's covered in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, an eye for an eye, love for your enemies, we talked about that on Friday. That relates to be merciful. You've got to be merciful to be able to, to, to forgive people, to not allow your, you know, to, for you not to take vengeance, to, 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 to reconcile with your enemies. And then the hunger and thirst of righteousness was we're talking about now. And so this is, the, this is the heart of the whole of the Sermon of the Mount. And what Jesus is doing is he's trying to show us this has always been the plan, right from the start, right through the Torah. So the, the, the first, first bit, just before Matthew 6, basically the whole of Matthew 5, is Jesus interpreting God's law and the Torah to the people. He's not saying, I've come to abolish the law, meaning I have come and said that the law is now no longer important, and I've brought you a new law. He's saying no. Now I'm explaining to you what those laws actually meant. When the law said, do not murder, what God was trying to get you to understand is that you need to love because if you love, you will not murder. If you, if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. And so, so Jesus, Jesus is living out the Torah, the, the law. He's, he's modeling to them what God really meant. And so, so when we get to this point, it's like this is what God has really meant for us all the time. And we will be people 
that, that relate with one another, that we were people that are real, that we are people from the heart, and that our focus would be on, on, on restoring relationships. Uh, as I mentioned there, uh, right, so, so why is this forgiveness bit so important? Because it's the transformational power that forgiveness brings. You know, we cannot be, we cannot be part of this plan of God if we are not people that forgive, right? I mean, it's crucial for us to be, for us to be, be instruments of, of, of God. So, um, we talked about this. So, I, again, you know, we talk about God's love and mercy right through the Bible. That is what we need to look for. If we don't do that, we make it about rules and some abstract morality. And if we do it about an abstract morality, we lose the heart of the matter. You know, Western culture confuses righteousness with rightness. And I grew up for a very long time thinking that to be righteous means to do the right thing. It is, it's got virtually nothing to do with that. The concept of righteousness is, as Malcolm put it, do right with God, do right for one, with one another. It's about relationships. It's all about relationships. It's not about following some standard that will mystically get you somewhere in heaven. That is a, a wrong view of what God is trying to do for us. You know, we talked about this again. So, that, so the heart, the, the mercy. Now think about this. As if you remember that diagram I showed, the, 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 the piece in, in the Seven of Mount that talks about mercy is, is, is that whole thing that ends with forgive for, for loving your enemies. And then what does it say right after loving your enemies? We can remember what it says. Be perfect as your father is perfect. He's not saying it in any other place. Because this, if you get this right, that's the closest we can get to being like God. Is if we can love our enemies. As we can, if, if like Malcolm said, if we can, if, if we put the same worth to our enemies as we do to our friends and our family. Because that is, that is becoming like Jesus. Right. Let's be people, not of the surface, but of the real and the true inside. What I want us to do is to just quickly start still on, on uh, the whole idea of forgiveness a little bit more. And just look at what Timothy Keller wrote about forgiveness. And this may help us as well. It says here, forgiveness means refusing to make them pay for what they did. However, to refrain from lashing out at someone when you want to do so with all your being is agony. It is a form of suffering. You not only suffer the original loss of happiness, reputation, opportunity, but now you forgo the consolation of inflicting the same on them. Isn't there something about revenge? Yeah. yeah. Sweet revenge. I mean, how many movies are there about revenge? Malcolm talked about that as well on Friday. I mean, we love revenge movies. That's just something primal, right? We just want to, yeah, get them, like, taken. I mean, that's just the absolute movie, isn't it? You know, like, you just, you just wish you will crush these baddies, like, into a pulp, and there's nothing left of them. It really awakens something that we can relate very well with. Um, but, you know, so, so, so forgiveness is foregoing that kind of sensation, that, 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 that sense, that consolation that, that you get from doing that. It says here, you are absorbing the debt, taking the cost of it completely on yourself instead of taking it out on the, on the other person. It hurts terribly. Many people would say it feels like a kind of death. Right? So, 
it starts sounding like something familiar that we read about in the Bible, doesn't it? We continue, it says, yes, but it is a death that leads to resurrection instead of the lifelong living death of bitterness and cynicism. No one just forgives if the evil is serious. And that's very important, you know, we can't just, we can't just wipe, wipe away certain, certain hurts. We have to deal with it, if it's criminality, if it's, you know, domestic abuse, something has to be done about it. You can't just say, oh, live and, live and let live. Certain things has to, has to be dealt with, there are always consequences. But it says, everyone who forgives great evil goes through a death into a resurrection and experiences nails, blood, sweat and tears. Everyone who forgives something bears the other's sins. Forgiveness is always a form of costly suffering. Think about it. Have you, have you ever really had to forgive somebody that did something absolutely monstrous or really, really painful? That, that hurt you, that, that's like a, like a betrayal, or has done something that you just feel like, oh, I don't know how to get over this, but you work through it and you finally, you reconcile to this person. Is that easy? No, it's like a kind of death. It is torture. But it's a death that leads to a resurrection. If we want to be people that that can be used by God to change the world. We have to be these kind of people. Does it sound a bit like the cross that is explaining here? But guess what? Two weeks ago, I, I read a scripture in 1 Peter 2, verse 21. If you can remember what that says. It says, um, my eyes. But how is it to your credit if you, if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it. But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. You know, sometimes we have this weird, vague, this funny, surfacey religiosity about us that think that Jesus has suffered on the cross, and that means I don't have to suffer now. He has taken up all my pains, so it means I'm now absolved from that, and he's going to save me from all that. The fact what happens is that Jesus has showed us how to suffer. That's not a nice message, is it? It's not a nice message. And in our, way, in our lives, the persecutions will come. It's promised. But in our relationships, we're also going to be hurt. But if we are people that has the Beatitudes in our hearts, that are kingdom people, we can deal with those hurts. We can get to a point where we forgive one another. Where we can work through those things. And, and that is what the world needs right now. Because the world is caught up in a cycle of vengeance. And we can, we, it has to start with us to break it right here. You know, and, I, and I have to ask, you know, is there anyone that you feel you need to be reconciled with? You know, maybe it's not possible. Maybe the person that hurt you is not here anymore. Maybe he's died. I know, you know, people have lots of very, very hard stories. And I do not want to at all make it light. Certain things you just cannot forgive and, go, and forget and go away. But God gives us the power to be able to forgive. Yeah. Mm. Through the cross, we can also forgive. I like what it says here. It says, forgiveness does nothing about the past, but it changes the future. Think about that. It cannot change the past. If you've been hurt... You can't go into a time machine and quickly go and fix it and, and, and prevent whatever happened from happening. You cannot. But by, by through forgiveness, you can change the future. You know, forgiveness is the opportunity to let the future be full of potential and possibility, undefined by the past. 
And then I think I'm, I'm going to stop here. But what I want us to just bring back again is about the Sermon Amount, about the, about the Beatitudes. That, that we go back and we follow that thread. And ask ourselves, are we following a moral code? Or are we following Jesus in building our relationships? Are we allowing our hearts to be changed through the first four Beatitudes so that we can have repaired and healthy relationships through the fourth, through the second, fourth, four uh, Beatitudes? And through the, through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is explaining to us how to be in Thank you very much for listening.